you are not unmuted. Love Talk Radio. Okay, I'm not muted. Welcome to Intersections Matches Talk Radio, a monthly holistic lifestyle show focused on the continual evolution into the best versions of our authentic selves. We and our guests discuss relationships and health and wellness, each of which contributes to meaningful and fulfilling lives. This is Jessina, your host. I'm a former practicing lawyer and the founder of Intersections Match, the only elite national personalized matchmaking service focused on singles of South Asian descent nationwide in the U.S. I'm very excited to welcome Nancy Slotnick to our show tonight. Nancy has a bachelor's degree in psychological anthropology from Harvard and is a professional dating coach. Nancy has been featured in a number of television programs, including Oprah, The Today Show, 48 Hours, CNN, CBS National News, Good Morning America, MTV, VH1, The View, and the list goes on, as well as internationally in the U.K., Germany, China, Brazil, and Japan. Nancy has also been featured in print media, including the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, Newsweek, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, Time, Psychology Today, New York Magazine, the Chicago Tribune, and Playboy, as well as, again, internationally in magazines and newspapers throughout the world. Tonight we'll be discussing Nancy's book, Turn Your Cab Light On, Get Your Dream Man in Six Months, or less. Welcome, Nancy. Hi, thank you. It's great to have you. As a professional dating coach and matchmaker, I'm fascinated by insights and perspectives regarding relationships. And I've uh, really enjoyed reading your book and would love to explore some of the insights shared by you. So, Nancy, to begin with, what prompted you to write this book in the first place? Well, I just find that there are so many people that struggle with um, their love life and finding happiness in their love life, even if they're very successful in, in every other area of life, career and education and, you know, really smart people with lots of friends and lots of interesting activities. When it comes to love, it's very, very hard to make it work and um, make it go the way you want it to. And so I help people struggle through that and um, try to find that. All right. Now, given the title of your book, which, again, is Turn Your Cap Light On, Get Your Dream End in Six Months or Less, do tell our listeners what you mean by Turn Your Cap Light On. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, and also um, I should explain, in case people aren't from New York City, that in New York City the taxi cabs have uh, their light on on the top if they're available, and then when you get in the cab the light and the meter starts, the light goes off. So. Uh, I believe that dating kind of works that way, and especially women have to show that they're available so men can flag them down. A lot of times women are waiting for the men to make the first move, and the men 
are waiting for a signal that it's okay to approach because men don't want to get rejected. And even if they are making the first move, they kind of want to make sure that you're open to it, that you're not married, that you don't have a boyfriend, that you're kind of giving them the look, giving them the smile, or, um, you know, just not giving them the cold shoulder, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I love that analogy. So if they make that overture, if they, they're vulnerable, you know, if they, despite their vulnerability, go out and reach out, that you're going to welcome that. Um, yes. And that's, uh, yeah, that's and funny. I'm glad you used that word vulnerable because I think it's true. It really does involve making yourself vulnerable but not desperate. And there is a fine line, but there is a line. Great. Now, I found a statement made in your book particularly compelling, and I'd love to share it with our listeners and then have you expand. And, um, you know, you say it in your book, and I um, I may have shortened this a bit, but, um, quote, so let me guess, you've been told countless times that, um, quote, it always happens when you're not looking. You hear stories about how as soon as so-and-so threw in the dating towel and was resigned to the fact that she might be single forever, then bam, the perfect guy appears. Stories like these are misleading. So tell us, and quote, so tell us about that, Nancy. Right, yeah, people always say, oh, it happens when you least expect it. And the thing is, I was always expecting it when I was single, and okay. it still did happen for me. Um, I understand what what is meant by that, that sometimes if you have too much negative attention on something, then it doesn't work, like if you're kind of, down about it and you're saying oh I'm never going to meet the right guy why is this always this way and and you're really acting desperate like I said it won't work but you do have to take action in your personal life in order to make something happen and I, I think it's misleading because it gives the idea that if you just sort of like wait around and expect the Prince Charming to come knocking at your door that that's what's going to work, and I don't think that's true. I think that you do have to put in the work, but you have to make it look like you're you're not trying too hard and try to have fun with it along the way. Ah, so you you spoke of taking action. You spoke of putting in the work. So in your book, um, you advise readers to devote 15 hours a week to their search. Right. Tell us about that, how you got to that. Yeah, it's almost like a part-time job in a way because, like, you know, when you have a job, you have to put in time into doing doing it well. And let's say you're looking for a new job, there wouldn't be any embarrassment or shame in seeking out a career counselor, going to a headhunter, talking to people discreetly about the fact that you're looking to change jobs. You would put a lot of work and effort. You'd, you'd get your resume together. You would do it right. But when it comes to people's love life, they they don't necessarily want to put the time in. There's some embarrassment around it, and people are shy, and it's sort of emotionally draining to start getting out there, so to speak. So 15 hours a week sounds like a lot for people, and they don't really want to put in that kind of time. But I've found that if you don't put in that much time, then it kind of becomes all for naught. Like if you just put a couple hours into online dating, let's say, and you pick out one or two people, and then you meet someone, and maybe it's a real dud, and then you kind of give up because it's it's really demoralizing, then you're definitely not getting anywhere. And then you put in all this work, and you think, oh, this just this online dating thing doesn't work. But if you put in 
more time consistently over a six-month period or a year, if that's what it takes, then the the statistics and the numbers pan out that something's going to come your way. Yeah, and, and you're, I mean, you're finding what you're doing and you're seeing patterns and what works, what doesn't work. Well, hopefully, yeah, yeah. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and you don't refine it, then it could take longer than six months. Much, much more than that. So now, in your book, you explain the analogy. Another great analogy, I like some of these analogies in the book, in, in, an analogy of a tennis game with respect to uh, not being the one to call a guy until he's called first. Um, yes. So tell us about that. Yeah. Well, so the, there's kind of a volley in communication, and this goes on in business as well as in personal uh, communication. It goes on with friends where, you know, you leave a message for someone, and then you kind of wait for them to call you back. And if you keep bombarding them with messages, it starts to look desperate. It starts to seem overeager. They, you, you start to lose your mystery and your cachet that the person might have for you by thinking, oh, why is she trying so hard? Maybe she has no other options. Maybe she's kind of a loser, and they leaves them with a bad taste in their mouth. So I recommend that you always look at it like a tennis game where you're volleying back and forth and you figure out whose court the ball is in and, you know, the sort of traditional gender roles are such that I think it's always the guy's serve, but then you could hit the ball back hard. So let's say, you know, you go on one date, and it's really the guy's job to make the next move, in my opinion, because then you get to find out if he's interested or not. So I don't believe in sending a thank you email or um, as the woman to, you know, start pursuing it because the guy might go along with it, but you don't really know where you stand with him unless you wait for him to call. But once he calls or whatever move he makes, you can hit the ball back hard. So let's say he texts you the next day and um, just says, hey, and you think, ah, he's only texting, he's not even calling, and he didn't even ask me out again. You could pick up the phone and call him at that point, and that's what I call hitting the ball back hard. Okay, okay. Now, in your book, you mention um, what you term, you call it the one in ten rule. So yes. tell, our, tell our listeners about what that is, the one in ten rule. Well, so let's say you're meeting someone you've never met, or let's say you are doing online dating like I mentioned before, and you email like ten different people, probably only one of them is going to turn into a date. And the reason why it's important to know that is because if you only email a couple of people and you don't hear back from anyone, you don't want to get really discouraged. And, and even if you're like the most attractive, best catch in the world, you're still not going to hit it off with everyone. So I recommend sending out, let's say, 10 emails and then forgetting about the whole thing. And then, you know, if one of them turns out into a date, that's great. And then when you're on the date, that if there's another one in ten rule because only probably one out of ten first dates will turn into a second date. And so it's a really much lower level of a chance that you're going to hit it off with someone than people would like to believe. It's maybe only a one in a hundred chance. But if you factor that in, then you're not disappointed. You kind of keep your expectations realistic and you're not thinking that every single date that you have is going to, turn into the one. 
Ah, so it's a good, this water tunnel is a great way to manage your expectations as you yeah. go through the process to, to eliminate getting, you know, to, like demoralized and thinking there's something about you. Um, this is, you know, applicable, like you said, to, um, to gen- generally applicable. And it also justifies the 15 hours that when you look at it that way. Exactly. Um, I know, because I don't know if you've read the Tipping Point, uh, Malcolm Gladwell book, yeah. but basically, you know, you have to generate enough stuff going on. And you asked previously how I came up with that 15 hours is, yeah. you know, I had been sales, commission sales before I got into the dating business, and it kind of works the same way. You never know exactly which deal is going to pan out, but you have to have a lot of balls in the hopper, and then you know something will work. Excellent. And it gives you a level of confidence then, too, in terms of having those other balls in the hopper and that kind of true, thing. True, true. So if one date doesn't pan out, yeah, you don't have to be like, oh, no, back to the drawing board. And you realize, oh, okay, I've got another date set up for next week. And that's part of what I recommend, besides 15 hours a week on the search, I recommend uh-huh. to try to have a date a week. And they, it goes hand in hand because if you're spending 15 hours a week on the search, you're pretty likely to get a date. And if you're not able to get a date from the 15 hours, then you might need to call me for some coaching because that there are, might be some things. That, yeah, what you're saying in terms of refining your 15 hours. Yes, exactly. Well, you mentioned that before, is that you can't just keep on doing the same thing that wasn't working in the past and expect to get new results. Um, so you have to always be trying to, to tweak and change up what you're doing to get better at the strategy. Excellent. Now, in your book, you advise readers that just about every annoying habit that uh, the women tend to have when, you know, when it comes to men can be broken down into three categories. Um, oh, so the three I'm, evils, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'd love to do at this point is to identify each of the three categories and then have you, you know, explain um, okay. to our readers what. um so the first category is needy. Tell yes. Us. Well, yeah, probably needs needs no explanation. But basically, men just really don't like women that are needy on dates or needy in general. Um, a lot of these women are very independent when it comes to their single life. Like if you know, if she's going to, um, you know, a restaurant on her own, she knows how to take her coat off, but, you know, if she's, like, sort of needing him to do that, then it that's not probably the greatest example because that also relates to chivalry, which is nice. Um, but uh, just needy's not good. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, here's the thing, like we were talking about with phone calling. Exactly, like, I was just going to say. <laughs> the same example, yeah. Like needing the guy you're dating to call you every single day just to prove something or or text you every five minutes just to prove that he's still interested um, is really overboard. So that would be more of an example. Excellent. So needy. And then, you know, the second category, and maybe, I don't know, you may have, um, you know, any clients who've exhibited this initially before working with you, and then, you know, in terms of the second category being controlling. Yeah. Um, any any examples? Just like you did before, which is great. Any examples? Of okay. Like, well, here's a great. And I like using the examples of of you know communication around dating because that's where okay. a lot of your personality is getting translated to the other person, and you may not even realize it. 
So an example of controlling in, in communication is like, let's say a guy calls you that you've never met before, you haven't had a date with before, and he's trying, he's really putting himself on the line to possibly be rejected, and um, you're on the other line. And you get the call. Now, you could let it go to voicemail, which is probably what I'd recommend. Uh, but instead, you know, you pick up the phone. Your voice sounds like a little bit curt and rude because you know that you've got this person on the other line. And you say, um, oh, yeah, hi. Um, I'm on the other line. Can you call me back, um, like, between 6 and 9 tonight? Because now I'm going out and I won't be around till later. So, yeah, call me back at 6, but not right later than 9 because I'm going to be going to bed. <laughs> That's controlling. <laughs> So, and and even though a lot of women will say, oh, I was trying to be accommodating so that he could catch me at a good time, it comes across as controlling. Ah, okay. Um, it is, now, it's amazing how many people do this and don't even realize what a bad message it sends. Exactly, which is really great why um, your examples are really helpful because I'm sure that no one, very few people walk around saying, yeah, I, I think I'm controlling. But, you know, then you can see how the perception, there may be misperception along those lines based on, you know, some actions, some, some, some steps, some behavior. So, um, so that's great. Now, the third category is judgmental. So, yes. again, I don't think a lot of people walk around thinking they're judgmental, but tell us any, you know, concrete examples where, that one might listen to and say, oh, I may have done that. Maybe I need to, you know, rethink that. So judgmental, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, hmm, let's think of a good example. I, I don't know. I guess it would be if he was telling a story, you know, something um, about his job and you didn't think that, you know, he was, like, successful enough or it could be about politics or it could be um, about the way that, um, you know, if he swears and you give a funny look um, for using that kind of language, it, it, it's um, a little bit hard to pinpoint, but one of the ways that I recommend doing the opposite of, like, what I call being the cool chick is, like, let's say you do something like that to kind of show that you're not judgmental. So maybe you, like, swear when you wouldn't normally do that or you're ordering a beer, you drink beer out of a bottle instead of out of the glass, just to kind of show that you're not judging too much. Like, let's say the guy burps or something, <laughs> you give him a hard time about it. You know, you got to kind of let let him be himself and try not to come across too judgmental of it. All right, like, so that he feels comfortable. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone wants to feel comfortable with, you know, it's, it's just more fun with someone when you're comfortable and not feeling judged and not feeling like every action, everything you're going to say is kind of subject to this, um, you know, the judge and jury in terms of that. So um, so I, I like that. And you had mentioned, I love that, um, acting like the cool chick. So mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Tell us. Well, I think that, you know, especially right in the first date or in, you know, in the initial stages of meeting someone, you want to let the guy know, like put your best foot forward and let him know that you can go with the flow of things. So, and there's certain topics you probably want to avoid to that end, like talking about past relationships or, um, or something like that. And you want to try to, be someone that he, that you, like, think from his point of view a little bit and be what he would want f- 
from you while still being yourself. But um, so laugh at his jokes, and if he's telling you something about his job, like, you know, make sure to compliment him on something that sounds impressive. And you might be thinking these things but feel a little too vulnerable to say it. And so I kind of recommend just, like, you know, being, being a cool chick that way. Come, It's doing what you would do if you were really feeling confident and you really wanted uh, to impress him. And it may sound like kissing up too much, but really you're going to get more back from a guy when he feels like you appreciate him than if you're trying to train him into being what you want him to be. Ah, I love that. Appreciation. I think that is a huge. I mean, it's huge initially, and I think in a rela- throughout the relationship, you know, that appreciation, I don't know, and at least in my practice, it comes up a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone wants to feel appreciated, you know, and especially by, you know, their intimate relationships, yeah? So, right. Um, it makes a lot of... Yeah, exactly. Like, So let's say, you know, because oftentimes the guy pays on a date, you know, at least the, the first date, you've got to hope that he does, but you don't want it to be assumed, you know? So if he does pay, you want to really go out of your way to say thank you and not just, like, the obligatory, oh, thank you so much for the date, but, like, at the moment he's paying, you want to um, thank him. Even if you're a little uncomfortable and you're trying to avoid the whole thing because maybe you want him to pay, but if you bring it up and you say, oh, you know, I really appreciate it, this is such a great place, if he chose the place... Um, and kind of go from there. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's great. I really appreciate you sharing your insights with us, Nancy. They've been really interesting. And what if there's any last thought, any hateful message uh, you know, you'd like to leave our listeners with, whether from um, you know your practice in terms of your coaching practice, in terms of writing the um, the very insightful book you did. What what take home would you? Well, you know, you mentioned the word vulnerable, and I think that really everything kind of boils down to that. Like, everyone feels vulnerable when it comes to dating, and everyone's afraid of rejection and afraid to put themselves on the line. So, if you get caught up in that and and tell yourself to back off and and make the other person do more of the work because you're afraid to show them you like them first. You really will never get anywhere. And so if you do something, if you push yourself every day to do something that you wouldn't normally do, like smile at a stranger or talk to someone in the elevator, you know, ask a question of someone that you normally wouldn't talk to and just kind of like lower your boundaries for interacting with people, you know, friend someone on Facebook that you don't really know very well or uh, go to a party that you don't know very many people and you're a little nervous to go or go out alone and sit at the bar and, you know, talk to the bartender and try to make new friends. To make a new, if you're a woman and you don't know that many guys, make a new female friend. They could be like a partner in crime. Expand your network. So anything that makes you feel a little vulnerable like that, do it. Instead of shying away from it, just do it. I'm shy by nature, and I've always pushed myself that way. It always pays off afterwards, but it's just you get that knot in your stomach at the time when you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I feel like if it's not scary, it's not worth doing. 
Ah, interesting. Okay. Get outside of your comfort zone and really kind of yes. push boundaries. Exactly. Ah, okay. Good way of putting it. Yes. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Nancy for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, once again, if you'd like to learn more about the insights Nancy's been sharing with us today, her book is entitled Turn Your Camp Light On, Get Your Dream Man in Six Months or Less. And in case you joined us late and would like to share the show with people in your life, I'd like to remind you that today's radio show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. And, Nancy, do you have a website you'd like to share with our listeners? I do, yes. It's cablight.com. Cablight.com. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you hanging out with us. Do email me with topics you'd like to discuss in future shows, and make sure to join us for next month's show. Take care, everyone. Good night.